You know, one of my favorite movies is Fiddler on the Roof, and uh, there's a character uh, by the name of Tevye. He's the main character, and he's uh, quite a character in every sense of the word. Uh, throughout the movie, one of the little practices that he engages in is he makes up uh, sayings, but he attributes them to the Bible. And he, he says things like, well, as the good book says, you spit in the air and it lands in your face. And later he says, as the good book says, each shall seek its own kind. Then he adds, in other words, a bird may love a fish, but wherever they build a home together. Again in the movie he says, as the good book says, when a poor man eats a chicken, one of them is sick. His friend Mendel replies, where does the good book say that? And he says, well, it doesn't say that exactly, but somewhere there's something about a chicken. And at one point, he's talking to God. And he tells God, as the good book says, then he pauses and says, well, why should I tell you what the good book says? You know, in that movie, it's fun to see all the ways he attributes sayings in the Bible that aren't really there. And we do the same thing. There's a lot of sayings today that we think are in the Bible, but really aren't. You know, some of them you've heard before. God works in mysterious ways. That's not in Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. Sometimes we think that's in Scripture, but it's not. Cleanliness is next to godliness. We like to throw that one at our kids, but that's not exactly in Scripture either. It may be true, but it's not in Scripture. Here's one. Money is the root of all evil. That's not in Scripture. What's actually in Scripture is the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 10, here's one. I hear this a lot today. God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, that's not in Scripture, and I'm not exactly sure how true that is either. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, what Scripture actually says is, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Another thing we hear today is, hate the sin, but love the sinner. And that may be a, a, a good concept for us to consider, but that's not in Scripture, that's from a guy, a theologian named Augustine around the 4th century. And here's one that you probably have not considered, but it's not in Scripture. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Did you know that's not actually in Scripture? Now, we like that one because we know that the Lord Jesus is both the Lamb of God and He's the Lion of Judah, all wrapped up in one person. But the actual scriptural phrase that we read yeah, two times in Scripture is this, and one of them is in Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. That somehow doesn't carry the same connotations that we normally like. You know, there's a lot of things in Scripture that, uh, we, that we see that aren't really there. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard the saying, if God closes a door, look for a window. Well, that's not in the Bible either, and, I, and I'm not exactly sure if that's good advice or not. Perhaps if God shuts a door in your life, He doesn't want you to go in that direction. Uh, maybe it may, it may not be a good idea to look for an end around, around God's plan for your life. But let me ask you this question. What if the door of life that you want to go through 
isn't shut by God. What if there's a barrier, something that you want to accomplish, something that you want to do, a certain place that you want to go, a certain uh, aspect of life that you want to think about, maybe a decision that, you, that you've got that you need to make, and you're going to advance in that direction. At least that's what you think you're going to do. But somehow the door shuts. What if it wasn't shut by God? What if it was shut by the devil? Satan, you know, tries to close the door on us glorifying God. That's one of his main goals. Every time that you want to obey God and the goodness of your heart and the sincerity of your heart, Satan wants to be a hindrance. He wants to be an obstacle. He wants to shut those doors of opportunity. And I want you to take your Bible and I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about. When we uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. And throughout this sermon, we'll eventually make our way to chapter 3, verse 5. But the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, we read something from the mind of Paul, his desire to return to this city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a city of about 100,000 people, maybe about the third the size of Lubbock, uh, 2,000 years ago. And Paul had visited there, took the gospel there. People, some people got saved, both Jews and Gentiles. He started a church there, but then he got ran out of town. And, and quickly after that, Paul wrote this letter to them, wanting to return uh, to them. And he, he talks about this in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. He says, I want, to, I want to come back. I want to spend more time with you. I want to help develop you as followers of Christ. I didn't want to abandon you. He says, I wanted to come back. And then he says in the beginning of verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. Paul deeply wanted to go back to Thessalonica. So why didn't he? I mean, he wasn't that far away. He certainly could have made that choice, at least we think he could have, but there was a problem. Why didn't Paul and his partners in ministry simply go back to Thessalonica? Well, he tells us why in the rest of verse 18. He said, yet Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. What does that mean? I mean, does Satan have authority over the apostle Paul? Does, does Satan have authority over us? And if we're living for God, we're doing God's will, how in the world can Satan hinder us? I mean, doesn't God's word say that if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, how can Satan override the will of God? And really, what, in what ways can Satan hinder us? Well, if we're going to understand this concept, we really need to understand some basic principles of spiritual warfare. Because there is a spiritual war that's going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And we're going to look at just a few principles, three principles that I want you to take note of. Principle number one, when we're talking about this battle between uh, the forces of good and the forces of evil, the spiritual battle between these. Principle number one is this. Satan's opposition of you should not keep you from serving God. I mean, don't you let Satan and his opposition keep you from glorifying God and serving God. I mean, if anything, when you encounter that satanic opposition to glorifying God, it should drive you all the more to glorify God. The devil may be powerful, and he may have a measure of influence in this world, but 
We have to remember this. He's not your Lord. Jesus is. You're to obey him. You're to follow him. You're to glorify God in all things. You know, when we talk about the authority of Satan, I want to be very specific with my words here. If we mean by the authority of Satan, we mean the spiritual person that we are to submit to, then no, the issue is settled. We don't submit to Satan. He is not our authority in the sense that we have to do what he says. Absolutely not. Of course not. But if we're talking about the power of Satan, if we're talking about the strength of Satan, and what I mean by that is Satan's ability to get things done, then we need to understand that Satan is indeed incredibly strong. He's a very formidable foe. And if Christ were not within us, then we would be no match for Satan. But Christ is within us. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who is it that's in you? It is Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who is living within you. Greater is God within you than he who is in the world. Who's the one that's in the world? It's Satan. And so there is this spiritual war that's going on, and Satan will oppose you, but don't you dare let Satan's opposition of you try to keep you from glorifying God. The next principle is this. God has all authority. Not Satan. God has all authority. The Bible does, in fact, say, if God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans chapter 8, verse 31. But when we understand that saying in context, well, the message of that verse is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor any other thing can separate us from the love of God. Not even satanic powers, not demons, not even Satan himself can keep us from the love of God. The love of God is that much more strong and more powerful. And so nothing can separate us from God's love. That verse, when we hear the verse that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It does not mean that if God is on our side, we'll never face opposition. It does not mean if God is on our side, we'll never face satanic hindrances to glorifying God. But even if Satan opposes you serving God, Satan cannot override God's plan. God has all power, but Satan's power is limited. God has given Jesus all authority, but the authority of Satan is restricted. The authority of Satan is temporary, and the authority of Satan will come to a close in this world. And so whether we're talking about this life or the next, God is the one who has all authority and all power. Please understand that. The third principle really gets to the heart of the matter with the Apostle Paul. And the third principle is this, that Satan actively hinders us from serving God, but the Holy Spirit is our helper. Satan is active in trying to keep you from obeying God and serving God, but you have a helper on your side. It is the Holy Spirit within you. Jesus said in John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Jesus was about to go away from his disciples. He was going to be arrested that very night that he made the statement. But he said, I'm going to pray and the Father will send you someone who's just like me but he won't be next to you he will be in you and he will not like jesus die on a cross and be resurrected and ascend to heaven 
But the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. He'll never leave. You know, in God's plan for human history, we live in this age where there are two spiritual kingdoms at war with one another. There's the invisible kingdom of God, and then there's the invisible kingdom of Satan. And they both have an influence in this world. The outcome between these two uh, kingdoms has already been determined, but all the battles are not yet fought. And we live in this age where we have to battle, we have to engage in the battle, and we have to choose one side or the other. By default, we're part of the kingdom of Satan, even though we don't know it. But if we are to receive Christ and live for Him and serve Him and recognize Him as our King, then there's a transfer of our, of our kingship uh, to, from Satan's authority to the authority of Jesus Christ. And we sense this battle or these battles between these two kingdoms, sometimes we sense it within ourselves. Sometimes, like Paul said elsewhere, we do things that we don't want to do. We know we're supposed to do right, but sometimes we're tempted and we do the wrong thing, we say the wrong thing, we're, we're led away by our desires, and it's not the right thing to do. And sometimes, but sometimes we do the things that we know are wrong we don't want to do. And sometimes there's things that we should do, and we fail to do them. And so sometimes we lose a battle here and there because of the influence of Satan in this world and his attraction and his desire to keep us from glorifying God. But sometimes these battles between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, they don't simply occur within us, within our soul, but they occur outside of us. They take place, these battles take place outside of us. They make us deal with all kinds of circumstances that are beyond our control. And I think that's what Paul was really getting at here. Paul had a deep desire in his heart to go back to Thessalonica to strengthen those young Christians who were engaged in a spiritual battle that maybe he felt that they weren't really equipped to engage in. But he was hindered. There was something outside of himself, something outside of his control that was hindering him. And he identified that in whatever form it took as Satan. Now, Satan, we know he is our enemy. And so exactly how does he keep us or hinder us from glorifying God? What are the tactics of Satan? I think it's very important for us to know the tactics of our enemy. You ask any general who's ready to lead his army out onto the battlefield, he needs to know the tactics of his enemy. He needs to know what his enemy might try to do. In the classic book, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, he wrote this, if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. Satan has a number of tactics, but today I'm going to mention three of them. Tactic number one, and this is the core one, it's deception, it's lies. Satan lies, that's who he is, he's a liar. And he can, he can do nothing but lie. Some of Satan's most uh, deceptive lies are those half-truths. Something that appears to be true, something that sounds good, but in the, at the core of the issue, it's not thoroughly true. Satan did this with Adam and Eve. What did God tell Adam in Genesis chapter 2? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan comes along. He doesn't ask Adam. God told that to Adam. He doesn't ask Adam, did God really say this? 
But instead, he goes, a person removed, and he goes to Eve. And not only he goes to a person removed from the actual command, but he also twists God's words. He said, did God actually say? He puts that measure of doubt in her mind. Did God actually say not to eat of this? Are you sure that's really true? And once that measure of doubt was put in Eve's mind, she repeated what God said, but she messed it up. She added to it. She said, God said don't eat it and don't even touch it. God never said to Adam, don't touch it. God said don't eat it. But already Satan was taking her down a path, very gently, very subtly, to a path where she would eventually end up directly disobeying God. Satan lies. Why? Why does Satan lie? Besides the fact that it's within his nature. But what does lying do? If someone lies to you, it causes you, if you believe it, to believe wrongly. That is Satan's goal. And if Satan can get us to believe wrongly about ourselves, then either we become overconfident in our abilities... I can handle this, or we believe ourselves to be too weak and defeated to win. For example, if, if Satan says to you, ah, oh, you're no good. You're just rotten. You know, you're, God doesn't love you. God can't care for you. He, he, God doesn't forgive you. You've just gone too far. You've broken too many sins. You, you've, you've broken too many of God's commands. God doesn't forgive you. And listen, if we believe those lies, then we're already defeated then what happens? Then we don't come to God for forgiveness. We don't come to God for restoration. So many Christians today don't go to church on a regular basis. Why? Some might say, well, the church is full of hypocrites or, you know, the church just isn't for me. It's not exciting enough. But I think if you really get down to it, a lot of Christians don't go to church these days. Because they believed a lie. They believe that they've gone too far. God can't love them. God's people won't love them. It's a lie. Whoever controls the mind controls the battle. Whoever controls the mind controls the battle. And if Satan can lie to us and get us to believe it, then he wins the battle. There's a second, second tactic that he uses. It's distractions. If Satan can somehow get your mind focused on secondary things, then again, he can win the battle. You know, he, he won't win the war, but he can win individual battles here and there. For example, I'll give you a very easy example to consider. Health issues. I mean, when you're sick, when you're really down, when you, perhaps you even have to stay in the hospital, you're facing a surgery, you have to be on some type of medication. When you're feeling bad health-wise, it can have a real effect on you spiritually. It really can. Because why? Because we are a holistic individual. We're, our soul and our body are all wrapped up into one very interconnected uh, being. And so when there's something wrong physically, it can have an effect on us spiritually. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me with, with a problem that they just really can't nail down. There's something going on and they're just 
down spiritually. And one of the first things I'll tell them after I talk with them a little bit is, you need to go see a doctor. You need to get a physical. There may be something going on. Chemically, there may be something going on uh, in your brain. I've known people who have actually had tumors that affected their mental state of mind, that have uh, affected them in, in ways that uh, they would never, ever consider. And uh, it's all tied together. That's just one example. It's a distraction from Satan. But I want you to remember this, that God is the one who's sovereign, not Satan. The devil does not have free reign to cause havoc in your life. The devil is on a leash. And there will come a day when evil and death and sin and Satan will all be absolutely destroyed. There's a third tactic. And I think this is the one that really affected the Apostle Paul. And it was direct opposition from others. You see, Paul was the apostle of the Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. If there was one person, and there was, it was Paul, if there was one person on the face of the earth who is engaged with the task of taking the gospel all throughout southern Europe to the Gentiles, it was the Apostle Paul. And so who do you think Satan would oppose the most? It would be the Apostle Paul. It was Paul's life's mission to take the good news that the Son of God had come into this world that he had broken the power of sin and death, and that he had become the king over all. And when Paul took this message to the city of Thessalonica, he faced, soon thereafter, fierce opposition from unbelieving Jews and Gentiles. His message that there was a king who was other than Caesar was a dangerous message politically. And so the people of that city, the power brokers and the Jewish unbelievers of that city, made Paul leave. Because he was about to get them, they, they thought, in serious trouble with Rome. And Thessalonica did not want to be in serious trouble with Rome. And the Jews of Thessalonica did not want to happen to them what happened a year before in the city of Rome, where all the Jews got expelled from the city of Rome because they were considered traitorous. And so the Jews were very much on edge with Paul's message that there is a king and he's, he's not Caesar. And so the Thessalonians, all the Gentiles there, they were on edge as well. And they made Paul and his companions leave. And so what Paul and his companions left behind in Thessalonica was a group of believers who were very young in their faith. And Paul knew that if he returned to Thessalonica to strengthen them, not only was he putting himself in danger, but also these new believers in Christ. And if Paul was arrested, or if Paul was even killed, which he was willing to suffer, either one of those, he would not be able to complete his mission. And that's why Paul says in verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. He couldn't go back. Why did Paul want to see them so badly? Look at verses 19 and 20. This is why. He says, For who is our hope or joy or crown or exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul said, you are my crown. I want to help you. But he couldn't. So what do you do when Satan hinders you? When Satan throws up any one of these roadblocks and he hinders you from glorifying God in the manner in which you want to glorify him. Here's what you do. You do what Paul 
did. You find another way. Find another way to glorify God, given the limitations that you seem to suffer. And that's exactly what Paul did. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left, to be left behind at Athens alone. In other words, Paul reached a point where he couldn't stand not knowing what was happening to these young believers that he had won to the Lord in Thessalonica. And so Paul stayed behind in the next city. Paul stayed behind in Athens, and he sent his companion Timothy to go back to Thessalonica. And Paul says in verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. So that's exactly what Paul did. He sent Timothy back, and notice how he describes Timothy. He doesn't call Timothy what we would expect him to call him. I mean, here's Paul. He's got a partner in ministry. He's got a couple of them. Silas was there with him as well. But Paul's talking about Timothy. And Paul takes Timothy. He says, go back to Thessalonica. And you expect Paul to say, I've sent Timothy here because he is our fellow worker. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I've sent Timothy back to you because he is God's fellow worker. Wow. A fellow worker with God. Paul had the right idea about ministry, about the gospel ministry. The gospel ministry is a cooperative effort between God and us. I mean, not only do we work for God in helping people follow Jesus, but we work with God. God hasn't said from his throne on high, hey, just go do this, good luck. God says, I want you to do this, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus said in the Great Commission. And Paul says, this Timothy, who's come back to you, he is God's fellow worker. And so Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, so for, for what reason? So they could stand firm against Satan's opposition. Verse 2 continues in chapter 3. He says, I've sent him back to you to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Verse 3, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Verse 4, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass as you know. Why did Paul send Timothy back? Because these were new believers in Christ. They didn't have the New Testament written out for them. The New Testament had not yet been written. All they had were the Hebrew Scriptures, and they had one another, and they had the Spirit of God. And Paul says, I'm sending to you another resource. I'm sending back to you Timothy. He's coming so he can strengthen you, so he can encourage you in your faith. So you don't disbelieve and somehow get pressured by others and fall away. In verse 5, Paul mentions another reason he sent Timothy back. It wasn't just for their sake, but for his own sake. He says in verse 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Paul was afraid. He was afraid that the efforts that he made to share the good news of Jesus with them 
would have been in vain if they abandoned their faith due to Satan's opposition. And so what I want you to understand, the big picture of this message today is this, that when the Apostle Paul was hindered by Satan so that he could not glorify God in the way that Paul wanted, Paul found another way. And this is a very important lesson for us. No matter what your circumstances, you can always find a way to glorify God. No matter what your circumstances are, you can find a way to glorify God. But I've found that too many Christians just give up at the first sign of opposition. They give up. Oh, someone's opposing me. Oh, it might get rough. I might be called a name. I might not get that promotion. I might uh, have this other opposition come against me. I I better not make waves. I better not do what I think that God has called me to do. Too many Christians today simply give up. But listen to me. If God has given you a ministry, you've got to do it. You've got to obey God. You've got to do what God has called you to do. And if one door is closed, it doesn't mean that all of the doors are closed. Find another way. Find another way. The best advice I can give you is set your heart on God And serve him to the best of your ability. And when you have that opposition to you, keep serving God. Maybe not in the way that you thought, but in a way that glorifies God even deeper. Be faithful where you are, even if it's just a small thing, and God will reward you with greater things. I want you to consider the big picture of what Paul had done. If Paul had gotten his way, and was able to go back to the Thessalonians and encourage them instead of writing a letter and sending it with Timothy to go to the Thessalonians. We would never have this book. The book of 1 Thessalonians has been a comfort and a strength to Christians for 2,000 years. Little did Satan know that his hindering of Paul would actually turn into something that would glorify God even more. God has a way of glorifying his name. Don't allow Satan's opposition to you discourage you from glorifying God.